everybody wants to be successful, and yet we all have different ideas of what that is. Finding success is the journey we embark upon to go and get what's ours. We are willing to travel down within to find our greatness buried deep inside of us. Questioning society's views and flipping the script, putting our own stamp on life. We're here because our future is within our control. Finding success is how we grab hold of what is possible. The relentless pursuit of success starts here. We are finding success and we're here to help break that monotony of your life and help you find your own version of success. Welcome back to another episode, guys, with me, Alex. And me, Adam. How you doing, mate? I'm good, man. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Very good. How good. was your week? It's a good week. Yeah. Smashed it. Again, it's, it's easy to smash it in January because you're just so fixated yeah, on doing well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's just keeping the, the level. You know, I think I'll be right until the first trip away and then uh, that's when I'm going to have to refocus and yeah. get on it again. What about yourself? How was yeah, your to be fair, mate, like the same as you. Like you said, uh, everyone's got the, the goals and the start of the year that they want to smash that we just keep pummeling away and yeah, it's been good so far. So, Mega. Right. Enjoying it. Enjoying it. This week, so still January, still blues, still it is, yeah, still sucks a little bit. Um, we're gonna we did, we're gonna do a success story this week because we haven't no, done one in a little while, have we? No, no. Who's our last? Who's our last one? Is it the Oracle of Omaha? I think it was Matt, wasn't it? Oh, Fraser, yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah, across the chamber. Of course, it was. Sorry, it's been that long. No, I can't remember. Long. It's been about twenty um, episodes, to be fair. How many? Twenty, roughly, since the last. Yeah, one. yeah. Blimey. Terrible job. We we'll have to keep. Yeah. Um, anyway, so this week we're going to talk about someone who's who's not a household name. No, he isn't. Uh, when he is to us, yes. but to the average... I think unless you're into investing or into... Even finance, I would say. Uh, yeah, f- yeah, finance, you'd, you'd know of him. Yeah. You'd have heard of, if not him, the company. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I don't think many people know about him. And that's why we're going to do a little story on it, because we, like we like to look back at these successful people that have done well with their lives. <clears throat> Who we consider have done well with their lives, yeah. Because again, success is completely subjective, um, and and we we look at what shaped them, what moulded them, how they got to it, and and so on and so forth. And I think exactly. it's quite interesting to see there's a, there's patterns, aren't there? Oh, every single person we do, there's always like a trait, you know. Yeah. It's in yeah, we're gonna get into it now. So, the man in question this week is Ray Dalio or Raymond Thomas Dalio. That is it. He's an American billionaire investor. Mm. But not only investor, so he's a hedge fund manager for a long period of time. Yeah. An author, a YouTuber. He's a busy man. He is. Does quite a lot. Taken. Philanthropist. Philanthropist. And mentor. Yeah. Uh, to one famous mentee, old P. Diddy. Mm. P. Diddy Pip. Bad boys for life. Boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I found that fascinating when uh, I realised he was his mentor. Yeah. Because right? he's now worth, as of last year, over a billion dollars. Is he? So he's doing well for himself. You know, a billion is people. It's just it's always oh, one billion. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that's huge. Nine hundred ninety-nine million exactly. plus one. You're doing yeah, <laughs> and one yeah penny. Unbelievable. It's 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 huge. Yeah. So getting to billionaire status is it's no easy feat. It's it's you're doing something right. You are nailing it. Anyway, so back on to Redalio Raimondo. Um, he's most famous for founding and being CEO for a long time of. Bridgewater Associates, yeah, which is an investing company, investment firm or uh, asset management company. I think it's a professional term. Professional name. Um, interestingly, it doesn't do it for everyday people. So, like you or I, couldn't just sign up and say, "Can you invest my money for me?" No, it's like a corporation 
asset management company. Yeah. So like charities and businesses and so on and so forth, corporations put their trust in him. Yeah. And I think maybe that niche has done well for him. It has, yeah. I've I've so researching a bit on him and investors that are very wealthy, they only manage a big amount of capital. Whether it's a company or an individual, it's always a big amount of capital. So one guy um, I, I looked into, he doesn't manage anything less other than fifteen million pounds. So if you come to him with fifteen million, fine, I'll manage it. If you don't have fifteen million, yeah, if you have fourteen and a half, I ain't fussed. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah. know. Um, I think he was the same. I think he's his um, companies that's come to him with a billion dollars for him to get on board. And obviously, I think his funds worth one hundred and fifty billion. Okay, he may has got under management, so yeah, it's yeah. quite a lot of money. If you've got yeah. one hundred fifty companies. You know, obviously, that he's not going to have 150 companies. He's going to no, have, no, you know, no, 10 no, or whatever. Like but yeah, blimey. Yeah, 150 billion under management at his firm. That's a big, big lump of money. It's large. No no small little exactly. change, is it? Don't no. find that down the back of the sofa. Um, <coughs> Apart from mine, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> um, so he started this, this company back in 1975, and it is now a massive, massive company. Um, it's not public, is it? Private, it's not still private, yeah. Still so private, he's, yeah. he's doing really well for himself, um, and yeah, he's managing billions and billions. Um, where did you you said he, you knew where he started from? A little apartment, was it? So yeah, I mean, we'll go through the whole list, but he started it um, in a New York two bed apartment in Manhattan. That's it. Okay. Um, very first start of the firm, and he was born in New York, wasn't he? Back in he was forty nine. Yeah. He's currently seventy three years old. Yeah. Um, Interesting that his father was a jazz musician. He was, yeah. And his mother was a homemaker. Yeah. But I'm not. I'm not sure I don't know what, what a homemaker is. Is, is it just look after the kids? But obviously, he was an only child. Okay. So, I mean, he's basically when he was out earning money yeah. or, you know, working or doing whatever he did as a kid, his mum didn't really have to take care of much, did she? Was it just like the home, as you said? Was it a cleaner? Or was no, it, is, no. it, is that a smart word for a cleaner? I, I'm not sure. Let us know if you know what a yeah. homemaker is and you're in America or whatever. Um, let us know. It seems like it's an American thing because it's not a thing in the UK, is it? No. Well, I've never heard of homemaker in my no. life unless I would call it like a, a housewife. Yeah, um, yeah, that's what it is in the UK. That's, mate, what do you reckon that's what it is? That's what I was thinking. That's what I put two and two together. What, a jazz I, musician and a homemaker? <laughs> We're able to, well, who knows? We, we speculate. Yeah, please, American listeners, please get in touch. Tell us what homemaker is. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go real early life. Go on. Yeah, like, we like Talk it. about his... His like first, the, his uh, first stock, because we did it with uh, the Oracle of Omaha, didn't we? Remember him talking about his first stock? He was ten or something when he yeah. bought it, and I can't quite remember now, off the top of my head, how he did it. But he was ten years old, and he'd been exposed to that because his father was into it as well. Exactly, yeah. Ray was a caddy at a local golf club for some obviously wealthy people play golf because it's quite yeah. expensive to do. <clears throat> um, the Lynx Golf Club, by the way. Say again. Lynx. What does that mean? That's, that's where he played. That's where he was a caddy at. Oh really? Club's still going today. Is it? Yeah. Is it in New York? Uh, yeah, just oh. outside. It's a nice place. Um, so he was caddying for these these gentlemen, and obviously, as you do, you talk about work and finances and stuff like that when you're on the golf course. Like. Yeah. And these guys were in the industry. They're talking about stocks, and it was at a time where the stock market was doing really well. Yeah. It's, booming. Yeah. So everyone, it was like the topic of conversation, um, and obviously he was just exposed to these conversations for literally full weekends at a time. And I ended up buying his first stock at about 12 years old. That's it, yeah. It was in like Northeast Airlines or something like yeah. that. Some, yeah, some sort of <laughs> airline uh, company. Um, and it was he bought it because it was under $5 or something like that per share. Was it? Okay. It was, it was something silly. He, was right. like, he couldn't afford the other one, so he just bought it because it was under $5. But still managed to triple his money on it because yeah, they yeah. Like, got bought out or something like that. When yeah, 3 x it. Yeah. So he's done really well on his first stock and that 
bit him and he he got the bug and that was it. And look at him today. Yeah. Multi billionaire. Boah. 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 It's impressive. <laughs> what are you laughing at? No, no, just your face. Um Yeah, so as you said, it tripled um after he first bought it. And like you said, at that time, I think he was just going into high school. Um, when it f- when he fully sort of started looking into investing and got really involved in it, um, and that's when he started fully researching into it, you know, getting involved in the in the world, getting involved in the life of what an investor, what a stockbroker, could mean to him. Um, and he went to, uh, I think it was, what do they call it over there? It's not, is it uni, or is it high uh, school? They call it college. College. University is college, college over there. At, I think, yeah. Uh, Long Island. Okay. And then also went to uh, business school at Harvard as well in 73. Finished in 73. He went to business school at Harvard? Yeah. Smart guy, smart guy. Mm. Um, and then after graduating, he... This is where it gets a bit loose. I mean, the research... Some people have this, some people have the other way. So apparently, he started into full-time stockbrokering with futures and commodities and then got married. Other people say he got married first and then went to do that. I don't know. There's two conflicting stories yeah, interesting. here. Okay. So I'll let you do what you want to do or how you think it is. Personally, I think he got married first. From the research. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he actually, when he first started as well, he moved to uh, Connecticut with his wife um, and they lived out of a converted barn, which he traded out of as well. No way. Yeah. So that was his sort of like his first little, whilst working on the trading floor in New York, he was also doing that on the side as well. Interesting. Um, he liked it. He was committed Mate, the bloke. So we always say that if you want something to happen in life, you surround yourself, then you? you surround yourself with what you want to happen. So if you want to be the best cyclist in the world, you wake up next to your bike, you get on your bike and you just ride. And all you think about, all you dream about, all you live about is that one thing. It's the same with him. Obviously, if he woke up every day, walking out the door, right, and straight into his office, I'm going to be a stockbroker. Go to New York, I'm going to be a stockbroker. Come home, continue doing stocks, and then go to bed. Mm. He, he lived, he breathed it. Very, very simple. And obviously, it paid off for him. Massively. Um, so yeah, that's where he traded commodities and futures, I think it was, of what he first started out. And he wasn't actually trading trading individual stocks. Okay. Um, and then he worked at a company called Dimmock and Dimmock. Um, what do they do at Dimmock and Dimmock? I'm not a clue. I'm going to guess. Something to do with trading. Uh, trading <laughs> yeah, I think they were um, a, just a, again... A company that were on the on the Wall Street side of things, and they were just doing futures and commodities. Um, and eventually, I think he comp- he got a promotion to director at that company as well. So okay. I think he was only very very young. Maybe I mean this is seventy three, seventy four. Um, okay. So did the maths on that just just before the uh, he started Bridgewater. Then. Exactly, so he, was, he was right on the cusp. Okay. Um, he had a disagreement with his... So this is a, few, a little bit later. He had a disagreement with one of his... Um, so he changed jobs at this point. Um, and he's... Ray, in his younger age, is known to be a bit of a... A bit of a hard goer. If he thinks that something is right, then it's right. And his director of his company that he switched to... Um, told, uh, the, again, the story's a bit closed. It's not quite true. I don't know. It's a bit left in the dark. It's like a cliffhanger. Um, but basically, he had an argument with his director um, after a Christmas party. And I think he was quite drunk at the time. And uh, Ray was like, oh, do you know what? I don't like you. So he just punched him in the face. Punched his director straight in the face. And I think, 
Well, that is when he got sacked, and I guess that was end of 74. Interesting. Just before he started Bridgewater. Bridgewater. So was the second, do you think, that he was like, right, I've got nothing else to do, let's do this? I think so. And obviously, he had a a big, big following this time. A lot of people were following where he went. So when he left... um, Oh, oh, sorry, it was Dominic and Dominic. Not Dimmock. Dominic and Dominic. When he left... (laughs) I'm really going to Charlie Dimmock. When he left that company and moved to uh, the other trading firm that he was working for, uh, Hayden Stone, um, then he sort of realized that he had a big following. People were selling their their businesses with them and following him. Okay. Um, so he was very, very well known in that. Wow, he futures and commodities. Exactly. Very early on in his career. You know, he's only been doing it for, he graduated in 73. He's only Jeez. been doing it for a year and a half. Jeez. And he already had a big following. So when he first started up Bridgewater, he already had a load of clients coming from those two companies and going, right, we want to go with you because we know what you're like. We understand what you do and how you can make us profit. So uh, we're not going to mess around. We're just going to go straight to you. Yeah. And that's what they did. And recently I've been reading um, The Intelligent Investor yeah. and it seems that a lot of people would go to a fund for the manager. When the manager would leave, all the clients would sell out and Cash follow out, the manager. no way. Yeah, so it's very, very, very common thing to do. However, majority of managers that leave and go to start their own funds find it quite hard and almost go broke in the first or second year. Ooh. So he was a very, obviously a very one of those people that didn't happen to him. Yeah, he, yeah. he hit the ground running and and uh, it played into his hands, obviously. Evidently. But, uh, yeah. Fascinating. Okay. <clears throat> so he came from, he, he got sacked, which is quite, you know, a lot of people get sacked. A lot of people think it ruins their lives and so on and so forth. Yeah. And actually, sometimes it can be the best thing that ever happens to you. Do you know what Bridgewater, Bridgewater first started out as? It was a wealth advisory firm. Okay. I'm not sure, again, what that translates into, whether they were just advising people how to spend their money or how to invest their money smartly. Um, again, he, because he was doing fund management on the side as well as running Bridgewater, I think he had those clients come to him yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. they were just following him and yeah. Bridgewater itself was a... Just became an investment, um, asset management company. Like exactly. That. Yeah. No, I can see that happening. It's just quite common. Like he, he, If he's got a following like that so early on, he knows what he's doing. He w- yeah, you would start a financial advice company, wouldn't you? Yeah. And those people would be like, right, stop telling me, just do it for yourself. I'm exactly. To do it now. It's like, well, okay, if I must. And he obviously found a niche there that people were willing yeah. to pay him quite grossly. Yeah. Um, and then, probably about two years later, or three years later, going into <clears throat> finding that people were very, very confident in what he was doing. Um, and he had started generating a quite a big following. He started writing a daily observation letter um, where people would, I think it was, maybe you received it, I'm not sure, um, but he would write things that he was looking out for in the markets um, that people necessarily didn't have the capital to invest with him, but were interested in his philosophy and interested, right, okay, this guy's really good. I want to know what he's thinking. I want to know what he's looking at. And mm. he started doing that and generating that almost like a newsletter today. Yeah, And he would send that out. Yeah. Um, and that was early, again, it's quite hard to find uh, information on, but I think I it was early that. 80s, maybe, late okay. 80s, where that started coming out um, and it started becoming a thing where he was just reeling that off. And uh, obviously, again, it helped him because people were really wanting to get involved around Ray. And again, his following just grew and grew and grew and the name become bigger in yeah, Austria. Yeah, 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 massively. And in 2005, the next thing I found, Bridgewater became the largest hedge fund. So you can then just go to see how big, obviously it survived the dot-com bubble. It survived, you know, all the other years in the stock market in 2005, it became the biggest uh, hedge fund. So 
so he is known nowadays as like Mr. Diversified, didn't he? he is, if yeah. you listen to his portfolios, he's he pushes gold, commodities, uh, stocks and shares, but Mr. Diverse, like there is he will not have one massive holding of anything. And no. maybe that philosophy got him through that, those, those tough times, times the yeah. dot com bubble. You know, Absolutely. The, you know, Absolutely. And got him through uh the the housing crash in two thousand eight and so on and so forth. This COVID as well, because company's still going strong. Yeah, I think he's still one of the biggest um, asset management firms. In Absolutely. The world. Um, so maybe there there is something to be told about the the diversification. So I've done a bit of research on this. Um, he calls it the all weather portfolio. That's it. Yeah. And obviously, you have to be involved in his company to have investments in it because he's never going to release what the all-weather portfolio is. It's not, it's not, it's not going to happen. No. Uh, the, the man, as much as himself, has done all the research and all the time into these companies and the commodities and the futures and the gold and silver and whatever. He's never just going to release it. Mm. So, however, in Tony Robbins' um, Money Master, the, Master game. the Game book, he does go briefly into a description. Now, we talk about being heavily involved around in stocks. Mm. Ray, again, as we said, is more of a conservative investor. He was a bit older at the time. He had a lot of money under management and with people that are better, you know, investing a billion pounds, they want to know that their money is going to be secure. So this guy only put 40% roughly around in stocks. The rest were in bonds, commodities and futures, stuff like gold, um, stuff like water, stuff like oil. That kind of stuff is what he was investing in, plus bonds. Yep. Um, as we know, it's not really interesting for us. I don't find it very appealing. No. Um, I do have my have some spare money that is in that kind of setup okay. in that portfolio. Some small diverse, exactly. Um, but apart from that, it's mm. yeah. I don't find it very exciting. So the thing is, I was speaking to a. I don't think he's a fund manager, but he's a, he's a, he manages. He's, he's at JP Morgan and he invests for for them for very high profile clients, and. <clears throat> They just want to see the money going up. They hate seeing it drop. Yeah. So if the market drops twenty five percent, they are on the phone straight away. What's my money doing? Yeah. And if he says, "Yeah, you're at twenty five percent," he's like, "Well, I could get that at the market doing my own thing. Mm. I'm paying you to make sure I don't drop that much. Yeah. I want to be hearing twenty percent, fifteen percent, and that's when he's doing the right job." Yeah. So I think that's right. When people are investing a billion pounds, they want to see some sort of growth, and yeah. the safest is to diversify. It. Exactly. So when one something goes, when half your portfolio drops, the other. Carries on, um, yeah, skyrockets. Yeah. So you sort of hedging your own bets with that diversification, and we're we're having stocks purely because we're the mindset that we're happy for it to drop for yeah. two years, three years. Yeah. We're not desperate for it now. That's no. why we're able to do such a thing. Exactly. Whereas those billionaires, they sort of just want results now. And the re- again, the difference is that we're coming up to that status. Absolutely. The millionaires and billionaires are at that status. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they've already had their. Their risks, exactly. Whereas, you know, yes, okay, ours is technically not very risky at all, um, but to us it's very low risk. But to them, because it's a billion pounds and maybe that's a fifth of their portfolio or their assets, it's going to be quite a big chunk of money. So that's why it's a bit different for us. Definitely. Um, So, yeah, I think 2007, 2008, 2009, uh, his company did not lose a single year. However, 1991 to 2005, it had three consecutive losses. Okay. In years, so that though, that period of time, his firm lost in percentage wise three years, which actually. What do you mean? Sorry. So so from 1991 to 2005, yeah, he saw a decline three times over the course of that time. 
in okay. three years, three consecutive years. Like in, in returns. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. A loss so, every. Okay. Yeah, for three years. Okay. Realistically, that's nothing. No. You know, over the course of how long, long is that? Fourteen years. We'll say ninety-one. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. 14. Nothing. No. Three years out of the eleven. Eleven. Eleven winning years. Amazing. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and yet, so again, he just kept pulling that and pulling that. And I think his the top sort of fund that you can go is I think it's called the Pure Alpha Fund which is, again, I think one step better than the all-weather okay. that we see and know yeah, of yeah. today. Interesting. Um, and, again, he hired quite a few big names and managements, managers in that fund. And that actually came under quite a lot of scrutiny from workers there. So stuff like phone calls were all recorded for anyone to hear. So whether you were picking up the phone to your missus, it was recorded. And if someone wanted to come and listen to it, they would just type in, Johnny Davidson, look at all his phone records and click on the phone recording and you could just listen to your phone record. If you made a mistake, it was publicly known inside the company. So if you lost, if you had a, a you bought a company and they were, you know, you, you misread something on the balance sheet mm. or it was false information and they realized that and the company dropped off the face of the earth, tanks, yeah. they would publicly or inside There'd the company. Be a notification inside the... Well, no, they come over the PA system and let the person and the rest of the company know Johnny Davidson is up no, because BA. he'd done this and missed this. Yeah, So a lot of people that you found Brutal. started to leave that company because it, the, the sort of turnaround was two, three years it's from staff. person to person. Yeah, wow. staff because people just couldn't take the... That stress. The stress, yeah, yeah, exactly. At the same time, I think it's actually quite smart because if you're the person that's willing to learn from their mistakes, you stay there because you, you will happily, yes, okay, I messed up. I'm really sorry. Hold my hands up. I won't do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he didn't sack the person. It okay, was just no, publicly no, would, known. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas people that are so susceptible to being called out on, that's when they can't take it. When the people that don't want to learn, when the people that don't want to find out what they've done wrong, yeah, they just, their egos. Exactly. Yeah. They don't want to know that. And I think a lot of people on Wall Street have that ego that they don't want to find out that they are wrong. Whereas people like me and you, we have to know that we are wrong so we can change our ways yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we learn more from our mess up exactly get it right I love that Do you know, it's, it's grown on me I quite like that it's, it's brutal but I like it it is yeah because you're right you'll find the people that have the right mindset and are going to do well will stay yeah and those egotistical knobs yeah they'll get gone exactly fascinating oh, it's brutal but I love it it is and so um, it came under quite a lot of scrutiny it was in Bloomberg and stuff really? for a long period of time yeah during the late teens um, that his company was just so, so harsh on staff. And obviously staff are coming out saying, oh, he's he publicly humiliated me. He didn't. He was just trying to do the best for you. And yeah, at the yeah, same time, you couldn't realise that. Brilliant. Um, and you look at the guy, Ray, Ray Dalio, when he talks, he's such just a, a normal guy. But you think of that and you think, ah, Ray Dalio, really? Yeah. He's not going to do that, is he? Is he cool, calm and collected on the TV? Or you don't know, do you? Behind a closed door, he's a... F- yeah, an animal. animal. Yeah. But I love that. I love yeah, that. Yeah. I think it's that's, amazing. That's, our, that's a bit of a philosophy. We want to, like give people wouldn't it yes you need to be a warrior it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war yeah be an absolute animal be full control exactly powerful man um i'm not sure about them phone calls though recording all your phone calls i mean I'm, i'll never have anything to hide but it's just say you like you just talk about to your wife you're in a bit of hot in a bit of a sticky situation with your wife all your friends could be listening to that conversation yeah, yeah. and know what situation you're in with your wife. i mean realistically because this was obviously late thousands early tens you okay, could, you, you'd have a phone call at the yeah, time, okay, so you yeah. can use your mobile. Okay. Um, it wasn't just like 
Ah. Doris called me up on the phone because yeah, okay. obviously I got no one else to call. So you, it's all business. It is, yeah. And so obviously, bad. again, you know, if you're approaching a client trying to sell them a product and they can see that you've messed up the sales approach or you've, you've messed up a wording or you said the, the wrong word or you said the word the F word or the B word or anything, they can go, right, well, this is why you didn't get the sale. Yeah, yeah. Sort it out. Do you know what I mean? This is, this is not yeah. up to scratch. You're not supposed to do this. You know how it is. You, you've got a load of money on that management. Don't do this. Um, so again, again it's just another way to improve yeah, exactly yeah. improve the thing fascinating unbelievable um, he had a bit of a downturn in I think it was 2009 um, whereas he expected the economic growth um, to not be as big as what it was so obviously just coming out of that year where we struggled yep. where the world struggled um, housing crash yeah uh, the Dow Jones returned 19% on that year um, because it obviously, obviously his pure alpha fund was heavily diverse, it only returned 2 to 4%. So again, his investors were calling up saying, you know, what are you going on? I'm only returning 4%, whereas the Dow's at 19, what, what's going on? Again, yeah. they want to know, they want the best return ever. And obviously, yep. because you're diverse, you can't necessarily No, yeah, you, do, you hinder your yeah, chances. But 4% well. on a billion pounds, I'm not going to complain. No, absolutely. Well, but imagine if they had just put it all in the market themselves. Yeah. It? 19% on a billion pounds is... A, well, it's a life-changing amount of money. Like, exactly. You know what, I mean? what you have to remember is um, going back through the last two years, if they did put it into the stock market, how long would it yes. take to recover? Yes, very good point. So they, they again, people that are very wealthy, they want the best product going. Yep, yep, yep. And they're happy when it's returning 2-3% when everyone else has fallen off the face of the earth lost 80. But now that the higher <laughs> chance is 19%, they're like, well, what are you doing? Sort yeah, it out. yeah, why didn't you put my money there? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, he it's sort of sat out his fund. Yeah, exactly. He sort of sat out and um, he's only recently stepped down from being... Chairman. Chairman. Yeah, he's still on the board. Yeah. Um, and he's still involved. And he always said that he would be involved the day he dies, which is mega. I think, That's, again, I think you, you have be, to be. Yeah, it's his baby. Yeah. He literally started that at 75 and he's grown it to the mammoth it is. Yeah. I think he's doing a great job of stepping down. Like when he stepped... I think it was 16, 17, he stepped down from CEO. Yeah. To just chairman, and yep. now he's stepping down from chairman because he is getting old. Seventy three or something. Like that. Now, yeah, he's yeah. getting old to be doing a pushing on, having such responsibility. It's time to give it to the the next generation, yeah, and let them take it on from there. Because I guarantee he's got a sick team. Yeah, absolutely. Like he'd have had them. He'd have been their, his their mentors for a number of years, and yeah. they'd be like mini hymns, I'd imagine. But with like current generation thoughts, exactly. So it's unbelievable. It's, he's yeah. It's a wise move, I think. And as you said, you know, he's heavily involved around in philanthropy. He's he's got five kids, I think it is. Four wow. kids. Um one died in a car crash, uh twenty twenty. Oh wow. Um and the rest are sort of, you know, just doing their own thing, living lives. I don't think any of them are ever actually investors or traders. Really? But uh yeah, they're heavily evolved around giving back to the community, giving back to the world. Oh lovely. Um so he is on the same thing as Warren Buffett, whereas he would give half of his wealth to um charities and stuff when he dies. So he's currently worth 16 billion. Is he? Yeah. It's not enough time to be sniffed out, is it? 16 Mate. billion. Eight, yeah. Eight billion is going to give it away. Wow. Crazy. Crazy. So, yeah. He's a very, very smart guy. He is. Um, and, yeah, he's also a great author of two, great three author. great books. Um, no, I think it's four. He's got four. Is it four? He re- so, well, he did Principles twice. Once, yeah. the original 2005, and he rewrote it. Much more recently. Yeah. Again, so it's four books. <laughs> Great. Author. But yeah, 
Principles is good. And what's the other? Uh, Changing World Order. Changing World Order. Mm. Fascinating. Very interesting. Mm. If you don't want to read the books, his YouTube uh, channel Unreal. is really good. It's yeah. a little short animated. Most of it is short animated series. And so, so informative in such a short period of time. It does just make you get thinking. That it, yeah. It's really good. I'd highly recommend it. In fact, I'll put a link below to his, to his YouTube. Mm. It's, yeah, it's, it's, Go it's and give it a really watch. Good. Yeah. Don't give it a watch. Um, yeah, so that's Ray Dodo's life, basically. It's, you know, he's done an amazing thing, starting from where he did, um, you know, a little 12-year-old kid that was just caddying for some very, very wealthy people on Wall Street to being who he is today, 73, um, 160, 150 billion under. And that's one of the common things that we see across the board of all these successful people. Mm. Exposed to it young, yeah. whether it be sports or yeah, investing, like... Um, Warren Buffett was exposed early. Yeah. Matt Fraser was exposed to sports. Parents were both yeah. athletes. Uh, who was the other lad we did it? Bill Gates exposed yeah. early to computers and so on and so forth. And reading just was books. Addicted to yeah, yeah. to computers. Um, it's, that's you've almost got to use that as your foundation. What did you love doing as a kid? That's like you're yeah, ingrained in you and follow that. And <clears throat> they never seem to. Everyone we do this on never seems to have a problem doing that. No, because it's so ingrained in them. Exactly, and they just stick at it, and they're you know they live as 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 we said just earlier on in his life, lived and breathed it. Yeah, yeah. You know, they yeah. woke up to it, went to bed to it, and they all have setbacks. They all all of them have been sacked or had a really tough time, like went back to zero basically, yeah. or like broken backs, you know, stuff that puts them out of the game, and yet they still come back, yeah. come back stronger. Exactly. So even if you're having like a really bad year, or last year was a horrific year for you, just think to yourself, actually, this could be the leaping the leapfrog that I need to traject myself up up and nailed 2023 I know what doesn't work now yeah I've, I know what I can't do but I know what I can do Spot. so let's use those yeah. and, and, and that's uh, all they've done their entire lives so we need to start implementing that into our lives to be, able to be able to pull off the same sort of job absolutely anything else to add no I'm good Facebook Instagram Twitter links will be down below don't forget to rate subscribe and share this podcast uh, we hope you all enjoyed it and take care See you later. Success is available for everybody, so why should you set a fence?